0: Are you ready? Hey everybody! Hey Pop! Hello everybody! People in the back! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Working, I am We're We're going to get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Coons, And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from.
1: And for all of our loyal listeners out there, don't
0: forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there, Here, on the Interloop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet, or just how we all sit down each day in front of that dreaded, empty page.
1: We play clips of local writers reading their work in our monthly reading series,
0: and we invite a few of those writers to join our discussion. Indeed. Today's show? Indeed. Indeed. On today's show... Summer is drawing to a close and we have to wave goodbye to our summer vacations and get down to business. But before we do that, let's talk about that summer nostalgia that tends to bubble up from within.
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Rachel is gesticulating here in, a, in an
1: interesting way.
2: <laughs> I I'm lost demonstrating
1: my, the Lost the bubbles. train of thought that I didn't have, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, whether you're remembering summer vacations or just thinking about family and days of yore from the hot. Yore. You love it? You love it? I'm getting you in the mood. No, no, no. I feel, like I feel you. Mood. I feel you. Yeah. It's
1: that um, like summer cruising, summer nights, yeah. like, you know, hot like out there just like... Yeah, don't yeah. you get
0: nostalgic you in the do. summer? You do. I do. Or it's
1: a very I mean, it's a really easy feeling to evoke. I think that's more what it yeah. is. Like no matter what time of year it is, where you are if you grew up I don't know, at least in the Mid-Atlantic or on the east coast of Jersey, like, you know what summer means.
0: Yeah, it means something. It has a whole feeling of its own. Yeah. That then resurfaces again and again every year.
1: Yeah, it's pretty great. I kind of like that. You love it? I do, I do love summer But you
0: lived on the Jersey Shore So summer right. was a very specific thing for you guys This is very true <laughs>
1: <laughs> although, although I grew up on the river Which is also a mm. specific thing And very distinct Even though the two spaces are not really far apart um Mm. but they definitely mean different things (laughs) um it's mostly i mean in jersey anyway it was the thing that is most uh easy to recall for me is the humidity Mm -hmm. just a very damp kind of humidity um I think about this one piece that I wrote about it, actually and it was you, mm-hmm. it's as if you could see the ceiling fan kind of cutting through the air yeah, cuz things just are so, so so heavy. That's part of it right? Everything slows down a little. Exactly. In the summer, I think like, that's why you that, like, get nostalgic cuz yeah.
0: you're just everything's so slow and heavy. Yeah. And you Just think thoughts.
1: But then there's also like this weird, you know, contraside where it's like, yeah, it's you're summer. Also, man. Yeah, you're not gonna there there get out there. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Put on my shades, do it's up my true. hair, like true. the whole thing. So when do you write about nostalgia though? Uh, like when do you stop just thinking and start writing?
1: I find um it's when I'm in moments of like of of actual missing, right? So not just nostalgia, but of like an actual Um, Longing. longing, Like a serious longing that then those things that would otherwise be a little bit um, uh, campy Mm -hmm. seem more visceral in some way or more important. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Then you have to articulate them in a
1: way that doesn't seem campy. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do that? that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because we're both nonfiction writers, so we i feel are well versed in interweaving the past and the present Mm -hmm, into a narrative i think that's something we do a lot so what are some tools to make that happen without being campy or without being too purposeful because i kind of feel like it has to feel organic and natural Mm -hmm. you can't just be like and so i went to the merry-go-round and it reminded me of when i was a kid flashback I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you can use
1: external things to do it, like mm-hmm. not just the mar- not the merry go round, not the merry go round, um, but like you can talk about going to get ice cream. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds really silly. I know. This is good. This is going to be a great example because how do you not make that campy? Right. Because you can just talk about getting ice cream in the present and talk about all of the things that are what the experience is in the immediacy. And that should draw without you ever really having to like go down that road. Mm. All of those other thoughts and feelings. So you're saying
0: like the feeling is there without you having to identify right. it. Yeah. It's just in the way you talk about right. it. Right. Interesting. I like this. And you can even
1: touch. I don't know. Like I think about. Like think about it from your perspective now. Like you're there and you're seeing maybe like the people around you, right? The little kids that you used to be, and so you can use other people mm-hmm. to recreate those scenes without being like my grandfather and I love to get mint chocolate chip <laughs> together.
0: <laughs> and this is where my daddy yeah. like pushed me on the swing. Right. Yeah. You can just sort of talk about. Or like the teenagers hanging out, you know, like being, you yeah. know, bring, bring them into the scene, giving the reader the feeling of longing right. that you're having without being too overt about your overt personal experience. Sort of, like, yeah. Well, let's listen to um, some of our writers and how they yeah, demonstrate nostalgia on the page. Um, so this first person actually does it overtly, but she does it well. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Let's,
1: let's
3: hear it. This is um, Remembering My Childhood at Woodlawn. When I pull into the visitor's parking lot at Woodlawn, the first thing I notice is the slow, hard crunch of gravel beneath my tires. In an instant, I'm 10 years old. I loved that sound. It's like church bells. That sound meant we'd driven somewhere far away from the paved comforts of the suburb. When our green minivan crept slowly up the long, gravelly driveway, when the radio gave way to static, and when the static gave way to the electric hum of insects, when we bounced in the back seat with the bumps and the dips in the road, it meant We'd arrived at my grandfather's farm in Forestville. It meant we were about to get dirty. If you follow the ribbon of highway that cuts through Sonoma County's Russian River Valley, 70 miles or so north of San Francisco, you'll start to lose count of the fruit orchards and the wineries that hug the main road. If you stop at any one of the quaint towns along the way, any local will gladly tell you, that Moms makes the best hand-raised apple pie in the county, and that the best berries can be found at the Palace of Fine Fruit. And take it from a local, they would be correct. If you continue to wind along the hillsides past dairy farms and horse ranches towards Forestville, if you manage not to miss the tiny strip of Main Street with its antique furniture shops and free olive oil tastings, If you start to notice the piquant smell of late summer manure, lovingly known as the Sonoma aroma, if you remember to take a right at the town's only gas station and your first left past the firehouse, you made it. But today, with a couple more decades behind me, I'm no longer in California, and the gravel is not so much a reprieve from the suburbs, but an anchor outside the city. Woodlawn makes itself immediately known by its tree cover. Monumental trees in every direction offer their own unique relief from the July sun, each with bark completely unlike the other. Some is jagged and peeling, and others, like the crepe myrtles, are smooth, like tan porcelain. Some branches curve upward at the end, like elf shoes. Others, like the tulip poplar, stand in near-perfect symmetry. Some coil themselves around one another, making their trunks a single braid. Others stand so tall and full, I have to wrench my neck back to see the break in their canopy. My grandfather lived out of a trailer for one year while he built his house adjacent to the farm he'd purchased from a local cabinetmaker. He had little money to his name back in 1974 and even fewer modern amenities, but he always said he was rich in shade from the redwoods, and he didn't need much more than that. One day, on an aimless walk past the Pope Leahy house, down a road that bends and curves at the will of the trees, I noticed a spider web spun remarkably between the tips of four or five branches, were it not for the spotlight that sh- the sun shone on the web at just the moment i nearly walked through it i would have missed the geometric prism with its owner proudly surveying her masterpiece from the center like a visitor to an art museum i examined it from all sides trying to decipher her use of lines and space farther along the shade gives way to a sunlit road that i can el- that i can tell connects to the main highway. I catch a glimpse of a car passing and the faint hum of what I can only describe in this serene corner of the earth as human error. When I was 10, I used to run past the vineyards directly behind the main house. The small green grapes, which I now know to be varieties of Chardonnay, were too tart to enjoy and not worth my time. I learned early on that the good stuff was in the back blackberry bushes taller than I could imagine, and dizzying rows of apple trees. I sprinted across the small bridge my grandfather built over a creek that, in the summer, was teeming with water skippers. In the fall, there were fat orange pumpkins and other funny-shaped, bumpy gourds he grew just for us. Beyond the compost pile, just down from the towering hydrangeas, was his wine shed. I ran past that, too in search of the generous raspberry bushes. The vintner's relic stood proud long after he passed away, even if I never paid it any attention before. These days, I don't do much running through farms. I take my cues from the spoils of history and greenery around me and go slowly. I notice the little things I surely would have run past as a kid. The hooks that still hang in the meat house, the lattice siding atop the dairy. I wouldn't, given, wouldn't have given Nellie Custis a second thought, the legend in southern ladyhood that oversaw this estate. I would have breezed past the shed with flower bouquets hanging upside down to dry. Actual history in the making, if you think about it. If you've ever been lucky enough to see a butterfly land and watch its wings wave back and forth, you'll know what I mean when I say they pulse like a beating heart. Where once I hurried to fill old coffee tins with berries, plums, and peaches, on this particular Friday morning while harvesting vegetables with the other volunteers at Duke Farm down the road from Woodlawn. I take note of the prickles on the young cucumbers and the scratches they leave on my wrists as I pluck the ripe ones. I marvel at the silvery green hue my fingertips turn after nestling, nestling dozens of tomato plants in their trellis. I let the sweat build up under my cap and think, this too shall pass. While I may not leapfrog across tree stumps like the children at the nearby farm camp anymore, while I bathe in SPF and need no stern reminder to drink lots of water, as it turns out, I do still like to get dirty on the farm.
0: That was Samantha de Trinidad reading an essay she wrote at our Woodlawn Residency, actually. That's right, yeah.
1: And Samantha did use the place as the entree into she did. her past. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I really loved the way she sort of introduced this idea of farming mm-hmm. in her past. And then she brought it back and mm-hmm. it had this... Round. I always talk about the round feeling, yeah, yeah, which is sort of indescribable. But what we're always going for in essays, at the end, you're like, <sighs> <laughs> that's that's perfect. <laughs> I think also what she did well
1: is we forgot about her for kind of the duration of the yeah. the the flashback, if we want to. It was it so that. personal,
0: you know, but but we always th- we always say this. I know, so personal but so universal. <laughs> yeah or not even that It's just like
1: we we exited her narration somehow even though she was still the storyteller. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, I love it. I love that. Um because you 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 do have to skirt this line of, you know, campy, you know, I'm I'm just here chatting about my childhood for my own pleasure.
1: (laughs) I do this all day long. You know, let me just tell you a story about picking up I know, I
0: can talk about my childhood all day. (laughs) But to really make it into something that is artistic Mm -hmm. and that other people then sort of can... Draw. participative right
1: exactly yeah that's a good that's a good way of putting it I like, that? Yeah, like that? that all
0: right let's hear another example um, of some summer nostalgia yeah
4: hi I'll be uh, reading a vignette called Technicolor Melancholy pops of gold and red and blue luminescence paint the July night canvas skin against skin we stare skyward thoughts tending toward the wistful We used to shine like that, a light with white hot possibility coursing through our veins, and oh, how our bones dazzled. Maybe, I confess, this pyrotechnic confetti, this summer shimmer is making me nostalgic for golden hours. There, in the far away, the marble skin of the monuments glows moon cool, while the nearness of you feels like a faded memory of the sun. Restless, I search among the shattering lights for the lesser stars, for a destiny with you and me in it. But all I see are the echoes of kaleidoscope light lingering on my retinas long after the flash. My ears are ringing now for all the sonic aftershocks of pinwheels and sparklers rippling through the atmosphere. And I tell you, I want to walk back the long way. In the muffled quiet, you ask me to wait as though the question might just be enough. Clouds of smoke dissolve all around us, and it is all too clear now. You can't hold on to a thing in this world, not even you, not even me. Thank you.
0: That was Stephanie Bento reading Technicolor Melancholy.
1: Yeah, so I think that has like a little bit more of the heaviness that we were talking
0: about. mm mm-hmm, that's right? more heavy. <laughs> heavy. heavy, the past is heavy, the summer is right. heavy. Sorry, I'm going to keep going with that.
1: No, but it's also, I think that the title especially does a right. really cool way, or does a really cool way, I can speak English. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool way to set us up um, because it's, I'm popping everything here, guys, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> it's, okay. it's um, you, you don't think, like, melancholy sounds, the word, I don't know, when I picture it, god damn when I picture the word melancholy Here, try I, I think of something like green and and fetid melancholy makes you think of green yeah I think of like greens and bronze and like kind of like what? soupiness right which is such a contrast to technicolor Interesting, and that I think is also like what nostalgia is, right? Because yeah. it it feels so much, but it's also murky somewhere. Like you can't yeah. really grasp it.
0: But it, but the feeling is yeah. bright,
1: right? I love that. Yeah, I just came up with that just now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'm here all day. Folks. We're here all day.
0: Uh, what we, will we have one more for Great. you? Great.
5: I think you're gonna like this. one. always. Oh, <laughs> the first poem is called strawberry solstice I saw the moon last night it was made for me and only perfect in its roundness plump with life its glowing halo sparkled between my lashes I stared for so long I forgot to breathe and suffocated waiting for my escape to save me to pull me back to myself I closed my lungs choked on you gagging stenches filled my hands my fingertips turned the hue of our memories together I swallowed the stars, galaxies stirred in my loins, explosions on what's new to be life-giving left nothing, black holes within me. Only I can change this spiral. These things are known by all with any understanding of love. That must clearly exclude you. I must clearly exclude you. Your absence fills me to the brim and I lament you and I wish we'd never cross paths again that I could be so easily forgotten tells me the vapid beats of your heart that my mouth curls downward at the thought of you scream silent disdain. My hands are not yours. To the world, I owe an apology. We built this present to destroy the past, not repeat, not replay, not relinquish power. And this moon that was built for me stands alone. It is not strengthened by the observer, nor is it threatened by the watchless eye. No, it greets me twice daily. Wants to inform of what potential may come and wants to remind of accomplishments done. Heroes unsung sung praise to its light and I am no different. Now I am different. Lucky numbers on planned days trick the head into delusion. There may nothing be special this day brings, no guarantees or warranties, just a marker of things completed. For I have learned today that my tomorrows were cemented in yesterdays, that my God has already spoken my name, my ears receive the words in utero. Strawberry, honey it's called. Solstice sight sigh and since transitions are never seamless, I'll stitch you out while the beams suture my soul. This moon that was made for me and only winks and calms the night to dawn. That was LaCole Foots
0: reading Strawberry Solstice. Mm, You're a moon gal. I You're a that. naturey gal. <laughs> I love Have you ever seen a strawberry moon? I have and I love um
1: the f- going through the farmer's almanac and keeping track of you what, do all the different- you have a farmer's
0: almanac? Yeah, like in Back to the Future. Um, Wait, that's not a farmer's almanac. Uh, it was a something almanac.
1: I don't know. <laughs> that's
3: I don't what remember. I was Sorry, but no,
1: yeah. All the-, the history of the moons is tied up with obviously like different nature cycles and crop cycles. Right.
0: Um, it's so intrinsic in the whole right. thing.
1: So you have like the sturgeon moon when different fish are migrating. You have the sturgeon moon. Yeah. Oh you my god. Have the wolf you have to moon. write a poem about the sturgeon moon. There's so many. There's there's I like the sturgeon one. There's like 12 the or something, right? Or
0: <laughs> I don't know, but I like sturgeon. <laughs> I
1: want sturgeon. Um, but yeah, I mean, and especially for for summer, you got that big.
0: But the moon is also like this source. Yes. I don't know. I it's like a source of self-reflection, right? There's so many like pieces and poems that like originate from the moon that make you think about yourself in some way like because it's out there in the cold and yet it's so prominent it's I like
1: I don't know is this a universal
0: feeling Rachel <laughs> <laughs> perhaps not <laughs> I, th- I mean, I don't... but I mean like so it's like it's like there it's prominent it's a huge part of everything and yet it's isolated and alone I mean that's a metaphor for my entire life.
1: Rachel, you are a strawberry moon with your big, beautiful red hair. And Isolated your isolation. in the cold.
0: That's real sad. No, uh, <laughs> sorry, Courtney's trying to brighten it up real fast. She's like, "How can I turn this around?"
1: <laughs> it got real dark for a minute there, folks. We're sorry.
0: Well, I know how we can turn it around. We gotta bring. We gotta bring. Yeah, we have, sure. we've we've got someone awesome to talk have, to. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest coming on to talk to us about nostalgia and writing and how he does it. So stay tuned to way better here. than we've explained here. Yeah. yeah. The expert. Yeah. Let's gather.
1: <laughs> gather. <laughs> gather, Um, we can gather in. Gather round, gather round for the second half. And
0: we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. We've been discussing nostalgia in writing, and joining us on the show to give us his take is Joshua Tyree, a.k.a. J.M. Tyree, author, film critic, and the nonfiction editor of the New England Review. He's here to talk to us about nostalgia in his book entitled Vanishing Streets, Journeys in London. Welcome, Josh.
6: Thanks so much, guys. Great to see you.
0: Yeah, that. Great to have you. Should we start it off with a reading? Sure. Let's do it.
6: Okay so uh yeah this is just a short excerpt from my book Vanishing Streets which is about London but really about my marriage as well um my wife was born in London
1: that's right we know her
6: yep <laughs> Hate, hates it there i was born in wisconsin love it in london <laughs> so that's kind of the basis of our mm-hmm. ongoing shall we say discussion <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that. That's tactful. <laughs> uh,
6: I think the a philosopher said marriage is a very long conversation. Uh-huh. Ours is about oh. London. Nice.
1: <laughs> there are worse things.
6: <laughs> very true. Happy problems, for <laughs> sure. Okay, so it had been nearly 20 years since I had experienced winter in England. I grew up in snowy Wisconsin, the land of the ice fishermen. And the London winter was much more miserable. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: Nothing ever really dried out. You could ward off the chill temporarily with things that warmed from within. Tea, booze, Mm -hmm. smokes. But the damp got in your bones. I read about the homeless who drank wood alcohol concocted in illegal stills around the so-called beds and sheds. In the vast outskirts. Cheap heroin had been flooding back into London for years, soup, hot beans, or the wrapped bundle of grease and boiled fish from the chippy. Drinking chocolate, golden syrup, Nescafe, Horlicks, Bovril, or, in a pinch, just a cube of vegetable stock dissolved in boiling water. (laughs) I've seen my wife do this from time to time (laughs) over the years. Emily emigrated to America at age 13 from the UK. But this act of putting the vegetable stock in boiling water proved she was still British. (laughs) The crazy national logic of cellar cool beer in winter? Pint after pint, measure for measure, enough drink to make any social outing seem like a conclave of gutter drunks. After many jet-lagged sleepless mornings and a long ride on a night bus with a broken heater, I got the flu, my brain started cooking itself, semi-delirious, suddenly occurred to me I'd been having an affair with London, (laughs) right under my wife's nose, in her parents' flat for almost twenty years. During that time, I'd been visiting London since 1996, when I was a student on scholarship at Cambridge. I had become addicted to wandering around the vaguely spleen-shaped area between the A1, the North Circular Road, and the A10 in London. Or maybe I was more like a fake spy, an American tourist, working for, let's say, a fictional international intelligence organization, collecting useless files furtive accidental snapshots, street by street. My assignations with invisible lovers or non-existent espionage contacts took place near statues of cats in Archway, along the canals of the New River, around the Nazi bomb sites of Stoke Newington. What is it with you in London, Emily wanted to know. On Skype, she was relaxing outside on a sunny patio in Seville talking about an endless succession of warm days in the winter and the grammatical complexities of the subjunctive, (laughs) about palaces filled with fruit trees, tiles, flowers, fountains, and peacocks. Her skin had browned beautifully in the sun, and her green eyes looked greener in the sharp southern light. London was played out, Emily had been arguing for years. The city had transformed itself into a distasteful pseudo-New York, a playground for the world's wealthy with their resplendent investment properties and river views. Global real estate developers raised more door light towers along the riverside beyond Greenwich, while Australian chain malls dominated Stratford and White City. Rents doubled to clear out the poor. Teachers, artists, and writers fled the city in droves. I mean, what is left? Emily often asked me. Americans? Eating lunch? In Starbucks? Besides, she said, just on a purely visual level, Seville makes London look like a junkie waking up in a trash. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Seville makes London look like a junkie waking up in a trashed squat with puke in his hair. I could never sufficiently explain my attraction for London (laughs) (laughs) because it was deeply irrational. I knew the city remained as fascinating and fucked up as ever, especially on the peripheries outside of Zones 1 and 2. All I could tell Emily is I wanted to be in London when I wasn't there. I enjoyed the feeling of being a blundering outsider in a foreign city where I could still communicate vaguely, even if I would never be understood. I got magnetized by place names on the bus destination signs, Wood Green, Angel Road. I had to go see what splendors awaited the visitor of Mansion Park and Seven Sisters. I searched for rose gardens, magpies, soothing water, and above all, the real locations connected to the films and books I loved. But over 20 years of travels in the city, I kept returning unconsciously, perhaps, to bomb sites, damaged buildings, canals, like a character in a horror story. I only saw these repetitions in retrospect when all the photographs I'd taken melded together into the same nightmare.
1: You're such a tremendous reader,
6: <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs>
1: yeah, I haven't heard you since I mean it's been a little
0: while. And I don't know. Well, thank
6: you. That's not how I think of myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the parts that I loved about it was your wife's sort of unspoken nostalgia because she mm. is like the city is not what it should be because she longs for a version that's no longer exists mm-hmm. right.
6: Yeah, Uh, in fact, she just kind of hates the (laughs) (laughs) place.
0: clearly like a junkie waking up in a puke squat
1: (laughs) i mean that's beautiful very evocative yeah
6: it's hard to keep them down on the farm once they've seen seville i mean fair (laughs) but yeah you know it's it's like you can't go home again like when i started to think about it i was like of course there would be this would be like as if i was like asking her to vacation in like the you know my hometown in rural wisconsin
1: right so does it have something to do also with the time of your life in which you first experienced london right because that was really magical like i think that way about sienna italy and mm. i know that has changed a lot now and it's not what it used to be and everyone's oh, like yeah. oh god I don't know to go there anymore kind of thing but oh really yeah oh, i'm sorry to hear that yeah it's become um populate it just a lot more touristy and kind of trashy in some ways isn't that where they have
6: the severed head of saint catherine and
1: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and the paleo races and all of that stuff Uh so it's a it's a thing but yeah so sorry yes enter us there
6: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean um it's funny it's like It's a different city for each person right Mm -hmm. or each place is different like there's i think there's almost nine million people in london by this point and like it's a different city for each one of there's a different london for Mm -hmm. each one of those nine million people and for me it's like oh what a lovely little walk and Mm -hmm. you know this is a wonderful you know Mm -hmm. remnant of the roman wall or something like that And, and emily will say yeah that's that's <laughs> that's where I went to elementary school. They had a horrible over chlorinated pool. I our, hate the headmaster. Yeah. Made, I had to learn Latin and so it you could you could see it from, from her perspective of it's you just can't go home again.
0: Yeah. It sort of reminded me of like midnight in Paris. Mm-hmm. Like you imbue it with your own sort of history the parts of history that you love and yeah i really like Mm -hmm. like that feeling it's like it's like the core of nostalgia like you're but you're creating your own sort of version of what happened or like you're saying it's a different city for everyone so you created something different
6: and you know what i realized um quite recently when i was there uh on my own without emily is it seemed kind of a lot less joyful. And it was just like, <laughs> like yours. Yeah, exactly. What you were saying, Courtney, like I what I realized in retrospect was the reason why I loved London is because that's where I got to know Emily. Mm-hmm. That's where our friendship blossomed. Mm-hmm. And that's the, all my memories of London were of her. <laughs> and when she wasn't there, it just wasn't the same. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So in terms of writing, what sort of compelled you to take this feeling and articulate it like we were saying earlier, like what pushed you over that line where you're like, I have to write this?
6: Oh, man, that is such a difficult question. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but it's, it's a great Courtney one. me and Courtney asking the hard
0: questions. <laughs> well, <laughs> we yeah. can't answer them.
6: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think about this a lot as a writer and as an editor as Mm -hmm. well because I read a lot Mm -hmm. of personal essays Mm -hmm. that come to us in to New England Review and each one of them is somebody's like quintessence of their life Mm -hmm. it is the most magical and important stuff that ever happened to them and like I'm in the same boat like is this going to interest anyone else just Mm -hmm. like you guys were saying before how do you make it resonate
1: well I think that was something that really stuck out to me because I haven't spent a lot of time in London I've, I was there oh man I think I was like 12 the last time I was there but I could feel what you were feeling even though I wasn't familiar mm. with the city and in, in part I think because of the specificity of mm. some of the things you called to our attention mm-hmm. so how does that function I mean if you're thinking about remembering something or representing something mm-hmm. how do you choose those things
6: Yeah, I mean... um, Again, I can't answer that. Uh, That's kind of like the Proustian problem, or the Proustian way is like just trusting that what's of interest to you may possibly be possibly be of interest to others and maybe not and that's harsh too if you write about your life it's like okay so maybe you're just not that interested in what happened to me
0: he's just not that into you (laughs) you your life is boring the thing that is most important to you is super boring that's right (laughs) and so it's just the luck of the draw the great nonfiction writer
6: Oh, man, I I, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) you know, Proust was writing about, like, biting into, like, a little cookie, cookie, right? (laughs) It's the most mundane thing ever. So culturally specific uh, to his place in time. And yet. Maybe even, and yet, and maybe even also, like, that could be the mechanism to be as specific as possible, mm-hmm. not to be afraid at all of writing about what's specific to your town, your mm-hmm. family, your background, what makes you you. I love reading that mm-hmm. stuff, actually. Definitely.
0: And that's the interesting thing. That's sort of the magic of it is the more specific you get, mm-hmm. the more universal it becomes somehow.
6: I think you're right. Yeah. We nailed it. We got it. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Or that, or you could, you know, climb Mount Everest and write a book about it. And
0: there's (laughs) this, like, really extreme circuit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
6: That's another option. What about,
0: has there ever been anything that felt very important to you, but you just knew, like, you couldn't write about it? Wow. That it wouldn't translate?
6: These are awesome (laughs) questions. (laughs) These are
0: questions I ask myself at night. (laughs) (laughs)
6: yeah there's so many things like that there's so many things like that and it has to do with like you know what would make a good story when you meet someone like at a dinner party or something you Mm -hmm. can kind of tell from like the first contact in a way whether they're kind of a good storyteller or not (laughs) and and it's sort of hard to it's hard to precisely pin down what makes a bad storyteller and a good (laughs) storyteller
0: so memories are like strangers and you know (laughs) on first meeting whether it's going to be a story or not. Did you just come up with that? Yeah. I love (laughs) that (laughs)
6: That's awesome
0: (laughs) He came up with it
6: (laughs) (laughs) But some people are like, you know, you meet them and they're, they're like, you know You know, this happened, you know, I was in line at Walgreens and then I, my phone rang and there's a lot of extraneous details in their story and you kind of, I don't mean to be, you know, nasty, (laughs) I'm laughing
1: because I'm a terrible storyteller. Writing is very different for me because I get to like clean out all that shit. (laughs) Yeah,
6: you're right. (laughs) And you kind of want to tell them like, you know... That's I not need
0: those details. That's not
6: relevant to, <laughs> to your story. On. Let's move on a little bit.
0: You're losing the tension. <laughs> the tension is evaporating.
6: Yeah, right. What, what what percentage was your battery on your phone? when you... <laughs> So
1: that's not the kind of specificity we're, we're looking for, right? <laughs> okay. Probably okay. not. Noted. noted.
6: But, you <laughs> know, there's also one. these kind of deep storytelling things. I'm not sure how into this stuff you guys are. I'm not sure how much I believe it myself, but, you know, there's the sort of the hero's journey there's the journey into the underworld Mm -hmm. there's the odyssey Mm -hmm. there's going home there's the impossibility of going home there's love and the trying to recapture lost love or lost time those are sort of classic Mm -hmm. um you know molds in which a, a lot of really good stories uh come to fruition
0: well which one is vanishing streets
6: i'm not Sure if it's a good story or not that's not <laughs> that's not for <laughs> yeah. me to say <laughs>
1: Well if someone wanted to read Vanishing Streets how would they go about doing that
6: Um y- 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 you mean um just like what She's type saying, of story it. it is
0: yeah. no, no. <laughs> She's queuing you to Tell plug us. It. <laughs> Oh
6: I see Well it's available right. at, at okay. all all better booksellers I'm sure <laughs> right. or your usual online Outlet, um, but I can put a spoiler in Ooh, um, yeah, possible absolutely. interest, which is that in the book it's sort of based on the idea of like I would quite like to live in London. Emily, my wife, would quite not like to go back home to London. However, the last time we were there, um, the the this summer, by the time we were leaving, she was like, "Hmm."
0: Ooh, you're wearing her down.
6: Well, I'm not sure if she wanted to come back the states. Oh, wow. and and it was interesting, it was the first time where where she'd said that. And Ooh. so is that
0: because of the political climate?
6: May uh, I that may have been <laughs> part of the equation I although
0: like that would affect me yeah <laughs> my
6: Yes, although c- things are going crazy over there as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. true that's so, um, yeah, that could have been part of the equation. Um, but I think also it's a place. I, I mean, I- even if you've never been to London, you might know it from literature, right. and it's a kind of place where, like, uh, it's. Re- I think what's remarkable about it is that it's still permeable mm. enough to being a, being from a different place. Mm. Um, it's still a mm-hmm. place of where everyone, in a way, is is kind of like um, not a, there's there's diehard Londoners, of course, and many of my friends who who were born there and barely ever leave their mm-hmm. neighborhood, much less the city, and it's kind of addictive that way. But but also there's a sense in places like London on the outskirts and the suburbs, they're kind of like places like. Um, in suburban Maryland or in Queens, New York, where there's people from all over the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who've kind of come there just sort of basically to kind of be left alone. Mm-hmm. And like they York, yeah. yeah, exactly. And they they make really good food and <laughs> <laughs> It's it's pleasant.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though when I visited London, um and you get into the neighborhoods, I feel like it has a very London feel still. Even though it has that international community, it still has something unique that is itself and nowhere else.
6: Yeah, I I'd be hard pressed to say what it was. What what would you what, I don't how know. how would you describe that? But it's sort that? of
0: like when you go like we were being very touristy and went to all the major cities but when you go you kind of just want to touch the culture and Mm -hmm. kind of feel it and you know sometimes you can't in a big city because it's so international and there are so many tourists but in London we I I felt it like we went to a little cafe in a neighborhood and Mm -hmm. it was just locals and it you know we had like baked beans with our eggs which is a British thing yum (laughs) and (laughs) um yeah I don't know it just mm. it had the you know that feeling you kind of hope to be able to touch on when you travel
6: yeah I would say get out of the city centers mm. like there's so many places that look the same in the world now mm-hmm. it's like an extension of of Manhattan that spreads from mm. you know San Francisco mm-hmm. and LA to New York the wharf in DC okay. all the way to London and it it's like the buildings are exactly the same they look the same they all look like office buildings Mm -hmm. and but if you get away from all that and just go in any direction as far as you can and go to the (laughs) outskirts like the last station on the the metro or the the tube or 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 the subway or if you go to like the last point where the bus Mm -hmm. you know leaves its last passengers like there's usually something incredibly wonderful and interesting there
0: Mm -hmm. homework assignment yeah yeah Well, thank you so much for joining us, Josh. It was great to have you on the show.
6: You guys are awesome. Thank you.
0: It's that time again where Courtney and I do a live exercise right here on the podcast in your
1: face. Your energy right now. Can't even <laughs> Not in your it. face, in your ears.
0: That's right. Um, while you listen to some delightful... Sorry, I lost it. <laughs>
1: Poetry, fiction, nonfiction—delightful writing. While you listen to some delightful writing from our former readers we'll be
0: writing while you're listening to some writing. Yes, how's that? Yep, great. What do we? What? Do, what? What do you got for us today, Rich? <laughs> well, we're talking about nostalgia, and like I said earlier, we are nonfiction writers, so we are going to write about our childhoods. Mm-hmm. Aren't you ready? No. Oh, you ready yep. to dive right in? Always. <laughs> Um, So when I was at Sarah Lawrence, I took a research class and one of the basically the only thing I took away from the class. No, I'm just kidding. The best thing I (laughs) took away from the class was this interview question that I now always use.
1: Oh, I remember this. Do you? I did this. This was with Anne, right? No, this was with
0: uh, Stephen. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember his last name. But no. Uh, I hope he doesn't hear this and he would be so <laughs> horrified that I can't remember his last name. <laughs> um,
1: no, but that was one that we did for an audio project, too. Ask someone about their earliest
0: memory. Was it? Yeah. I might have brought it up. Somebody might have brought it up from Stephen's from that, class. Okay. Okay. But anyway. Anyway. Um, wherever we learned it, we learned it. Um, and so, yes, you always ask. What was your earliest memory? And I love that question. Yeah. Um, because it gets people thinking. So we're going to do that.
1: Great. What do you think? I. So it's hard for me because I like hearing people try to describe, like, memories and dreams.
0: It's a different thing than trying well, to write it. Yeah, you, know? you don't have to capture the memory, just use it as a jumping off point. Okay. Because I was going to say, this is actually right. re- a really interesting question for me, because I feel that my earliest memory has changed over the years. Sure. Even since grad school, because I kind of feel like every time I remember something, it degrades a little bit. Well, yeah. And then you think about it, and you think about it, and then it just, like, flutters the away.
1: The it of gone. Well, and then there's also that that, um... Phenomenon where like people tell you things about yourself when you were X and you age think it's a memory, and you think it, yeah, and you're like, or oh, you put together what people yes. told you
0: with an image, right? So totally. one part of it was real, and then they, and then you fill in the blanks with right. rumors. What is reality? I have a whole audio documentary about this subject. <laughs> that's right, I've heard it. It's award award-winning. It's award-winning. <laughs> it's, it's winning. It's award winning. It's um, runner up winning.
3: It's award winning.
0: Anywho, that's what we're going to be doing while you listen to these stellar poems and excerpts about storms because who doesn't love summer rain?
1: Oh, I was like, what?
0: Why storms? Summer rain. Dude, I do summer love episode. summer rain. The and s- storms. The smell of it. And the like feeling of you can feel the humidity falling out of the air.
1: Right, right, right. But there's also something like so powerful about it because it usually a company is like a st- right like summer rain usually is like big. Yeah, thunder, lightning, yeah. it comes down in sheets. And it's like gone. you can't see it's there and then it's gone. Yeah. But also, what is the what is that word um, for the smell that it has a its own word? This like it does? the smell after rain. <gasps> yes, I need to. We know need this to look word. this up. It's great. It's like God. Why am I blanking? Uh
0: yeah, we'll we'll find that for you. We'll find that for you. After the exercise, we'll look that up, and we'll we'll get right back to
2: yeah. you. <laughs> In the meantime, have a listen to these. I'm going to read a storm poem. This is uh, A Place Where There Isn't Any Trouble. Girl walks into a house and comes out running. Girl runs down a neighborhood street and a pickup rolls up beside her. Storm's coming. Aunt says, girl... You know there are monsters out there, and you never know. Aunt says, Sugar, this storm will run roughshod over the dirt you call childhood. Farm and storm spread so wide, they each get a name. Whiskey rolls down her throat and lights the farm on fire. Aunt says, girl, there are monsters in this world you'll call friends in the next, storms that'll write your name in the sky, clouds that roll up and announce you like a choir. A fire don't chase, but it catches. The bells of the neighborhood church keep peeling on without you and do not call you home. Around here, ugly ain't a name for the way somebody looks, but how she talks, or talks back. Rotten isn't just for apples, it's for how she acts. Girl walks into the woods and comes out a monster. A storm kicks up beside her. Mongrel paces just behind her footfall. There are farms in this world, but girl and mongrel are headed to the next. Around here, a strip where a field meets the woods is called The Invitation. Stray piece of straw on her skirt, like an unlit match. Stray light splintering through the branches like tangled hair. Oh, and she is lit with whiskey now. Now a fugue settles over the trees. Now a path undresses itself in front of her, fingers her forward. On the other side of an invitation, somebody's always cooking up something. Trouble is a dish, a prayer. Fill my plate with sugared apples. Fill my heart with discipline. Mongrel cases, any new body might stand in her way. If you can't beat them, join them, the farm calls. If you can't join them, let them walk you to your truck. But when it's time to go, it's time to go, the bells peel. Girl peels off her Sunday skirt like a bell gone soft. An invitation is just another line to be crossed after all, all of it rinsed with a light, salted. Girl leaves the farm lit behind her, but takes the path with her when she goes, wherever she goes, pretty as you please. Full of sugared breath to waste on the crook of the next one's neck. The dirt I could dish, thinks Mongrel, I'm the one she'll miss the most. Well, shoot. Somebody got to be the one who stands burning on the porch, waves aunt, and somebody got to be the one to get lost.
6: (laughs) Maria has never been told the meaning of a single word. Her mother does her hair, says that she is 25 years old and has seven daughters, all of whom are wed or yet to be. Maria's mother's joints are sick with age confidence and Maria has such lovely, lovely hair. Placement remains the most difficult thing and splatters the step with every evening rain.
4: The rain has barely quieted its rat-a-tat-tat as I exit the car and head across the pea gravel path to Woodlawn. A blue heron traverses the somber sky from one tree-lined edge to the other, heralding the end of the morning's downpour for now. The sky is still heavy, though, holding back the drops that are sure to fall all afternoon. The grounds around me are drinking up the droplets, thirsty after weeks of sun. And I am left looking for the bright side.
7: It's raining, but nothing is moving, not even the water. The falling is frozen and calm is the moment where movement is still and hangs in the air. This is nothing to worry about, you said, asked Simon. Nothing a finely tuned Skyhawk can't handle. Rain streaked the windows. Thunder rolled like rocky waves on the Alaskan coastline. The plane got swept hard to the left by a sudden gust of wind. I'm gonna try to get above this, Bob said into his headset, or perhaps to himself. He pulled back on the stick. The sound of the engine rose higher, but to Simon, the actual plane didn't seem to be climbing at all. It felt like it was sinking, slowly. He spied the altimeter on the dash and confirmed that was the case. An alarm sounded in the cockpit. Bob poked around. Huh, he said to himself, that's not good. What's not good, Hans started, but before he could finish, the plane was dropping fast. Simon closed his eyes and gripped his seat. Hans grunted. It leveled out after what felt like an eternity. But the engine was producing a shrill whine, like the sound of a mosquito dive bombing an ear. Just a little carburetor, Ice Bob said calmly. Carb heat's on now, though. That should clear it up. Don't you worry. He started whistling, blowing in the wind. A flash of lightning lit up the cabin. Simon saw Hans's jaw clenched tight. You going for Chinook or Char, Simon asked, groping for distraction. I'm thinking about Pike, he said after Hans didn't answer. I'm not in the mood, said Hans. Bob was mentioning something about the carb heat not working into his headset. Simon wanted to reach out to Hans, but Hans wouldn't look at him. Simon loosened his grip on the seat cushion and was immediately thrown against the wall. He rebalanced himself. He clasped onto Hans's shoulder. Hey, Simon said to him, Hans. Hans turned, eyes wide with terror. He said quietly, Simon, I think we're going to crash. Simon blinked. Simon, did you hear me? Simon blinked again. There was something about the sound of his own name that felt foreign to him like he could see it floating in front of him if they crashed his name would cease to exist he would no longer be simon he would just be a body no he would be a thing he would be a no thing nothing i don't want to Hans said pressing his palms into his cheeks the plane continued to shake and fall me neither simon said how could his name leave him when he had so much left to do with it So many places to see, so much life to live, so much of the world to show to other people. He loved life with a vehemence that he refused to let go of. Hans folded himself into a ball, his head between his knees, his arms locked through his legs. The aircraft was shaking viciously now and still sliding out of the sky. Simon put his head onto his own lap. The engine sounded like it was struggling for dear life. First, only in his mind, then aloud, he repeated a phrase, quickening with each incantation. I want more, I want more, I want more. Anna, Hans said. The engine pitch rose higher and higher. Anna, Hans said again. What, Simon asked? All at once, the Cessna seemed to jump up and then forward and then begin to rise in a controlled climb. At the same time, the engine settled into a more modest baritone. Atta girl, said Bob. Simon lifted his head up. He looked up at the light on the wingtip. The clouds were thinning. He could see the air again. Hans stopped pulling at his hair. What happened, Simon and Hans asked together. Carpete's a little slow sometimes. Engine's back now. Told you it was nothing to worry about.
1: that was amy woolard paul fateau whitney pipkin matthew montes and max meltzer and now to the results of our live exercise who wants to go first I actually liked this. I didn't write about the actual memory, but it made me think of other things. Mm. I mean, they're like all related to it, but like, yeah,
0: yeah. It was a jumping off point. Yeah. In that in, case, I'm going to go, go first. In my head. I'm going to go first because okay. mine's actually memory. Okay. And then and then we'll get more out there with okay. yours. Okay. How Does that sound great? Okay, so Courtney and I wrote our earliest memories in case you forgot. For yeah. the Past eight minutes. <laughs> Here we go. Kimberly is getting smaller as she reaches the end of the sidewalk and vanishes around the corner. I am alone. I look at the walls of cement along one side of the sidewalk, one with a hot pepper plant poking over the top that once sent me home crying in fiery pain. The other side of the sidewalk is hedged with parked cars, all empty. A moment ago I was running, I was chasing, I was it. Now I see myself sitting, facing the wrong direction as if I were watching the mirror image of myself. She is quite still, staring dead-eyed around her, in shock. And her leg, the meat of her leg. Help, she screams, and it bounces off cement and steel. Tears emerge in my eyes as I watch her. I want to take her leg meat and stuff it back into her leg. Wrap it up with scotch tape. I want to walk around, find the culprit, point out what split her open. Help, she yells again but she doesn't seem frantic. She is matter of fact, robotic. Help. I peek through the sliding glass doors behind the cement walls. I look into car windows. I wanna touch her shoulder. I wanna hug her. I wanna snap her out of it. Help. A rhythmic thud echoes back to her. Finally, someone approaches.
1: Somebody has been doing some writing these days. (laughs) Actually, I
0: haven't been. I feel like I'm always, like, erupt with crazy amounts of creativity on these kind of things. like, I have eight minutes. What am I doing? It's, like, been stuffed inside me. Yeah. It's pouring out. So what how did that feel so what happened <laughs> what? so you see this scar i have a scar yeah, on my leg right, right yeah. above the knee which is like sizable one two three inches long 27 yeah. stitches Thank you. yeah i was playing chase on the sidewalk with all of these cars parked up to it and in texas they have um license plates on the front right and so one of them was broken and bent uh. up and it caught my leg as I was chasing. So, but you used a really cool technique of, like,
1: looking at yourself, the outside-in kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and displacing and replacing us, and, and guiding us through the story that way, not from the first person, but the third, and that I like, thought was really
0: effective. Right, and sort of, like, I think... uh Hammered home what the feeling was, which was an yeah. out-of-body experience kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, because you free, there's like this weird adrenaline in the in those moments, mm-hmm. and you're like frozen, but also everything is moving quickly and slowly at the same time. Right. Yeah. Crazy. That's cool. Um. Okay, so my first memory is actually uh of.
0: Uh, I sorry, yeah. I failed to mention that I was like five years old. So yeah. how old are you on yours? I was still in a crib, so it's very like wow.
1: I just it's like a very just like vision thing. Like I can see the things around me. I can like um standing like holding on to the side of it while my dad was painting in my mm. room. Interesting. Um, and my brother I don't know if my brother was there or not, but like the image of this weird, like, stuffed snake toy that he had that Mm. always freaked me out is there. So I don't know if that's, like, transposed onto it or what, but... Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I feel like I I used to remember walking for the first time. I do not remember that. But now I don't remember it anymore. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead.
1: All right, so... There was always a project on 6 McKnight Avenue, my father sheetrocking, the bedroom ceiling close to crumbling. Steve Fithian called to fix the pipe that burst when the washer got overloaded and spun out, uh, when the washer spun out because it was overloaded with soccer soccer cleats and dog blankets. Mom painted and (laughs) repainted the exterior twice, finally settling on mauve and purple like a Victorian dollhouse or a painted lady she'd seen on a postcard from San Francisco. You had to walk through my room to get to my brother's, where I was only allowed to toddle when the keep out sign was no longer, when the keep out sign wasn't posted. I can't read my own writing. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but there was a land where, if I was lucky, I'd be invited to trade baseball cards or play GI Joe or Ninja Turtles, although never with the good guys. While an actual turtle slowly pervaded the room, king of the keep holding dominion over hermit crabs until dinner was called
0: (laughs) that's all i got i love i love it i feel like you're like that's great no 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 um no i really did love it i i love the just sort of overwhelming feeling of childhood yeah you know like your older brother who you can't up with or you can't sort of access in some way it's a classic yeah, childhood totally. problem <laughs> um, and then all the toys again we were like like we were saying the specific, specific uh, yep yeah that word that one the universality and the specific <laughs>
1: we're done for you tonight guys. yeah
0: we're all spent so
1: <laughs> also petrichor is the oh that's right. <laughs> Petrichor is the word uh, of the smell after it rains. The so smell
0: after it rains keep is Petrichor. That, keep that locked in today. So uh, somebody write a poem about Petrichor and what was the moon? It was the... the strawberry moon? No, no, the right. other moon you were talking about. Oh, sturgeon, sturgeon moon. moon. Mm-hmm. Sturgeon moon and Petrichor. Mm. That's your homework mm. assignment. Petrichor? 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 Petrichor. Petrichor. I don't even know. Well, that's our show. Next month, a big change is coming to the Interloop Radio. That's right. We'll be joining forces with Full Service Radio, a community podcast network and internet radio station broadcasting live right here in D.C. from a stu- studio located inside the lobby of the Line Hotel in adams Morgan.
1: Yeah, we're super pumped. The Interloop will um, be joining the programming of Full Service that features over 30 local hosts and shows and um the subjects span
0: across art and culture, food and drink, and music. So we'll be in good company. Yeah, it's super exciting. But don't worry, you'll still be able to access our podcast wherever you currently stream from, as well as on our website at theinnerlooplit.org and now also at fullserviceradio.org. Uh, and you can also find out more about us or submit to read at our next event on our website at theinnerlooplit.org. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical manager is James Skinner. Thanks again to Joshua Tyree for joining us on the show. If you
1: enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or any other streaming site you use. Podcasts
0: thrive on reviews like yours. So if you want to support the Inner Loop and us, take the time to tell the world why you love us.
1: And don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe uh, Subscribe so you never miss a single episode Not ever. Not once.
0: <laughs> Happy writing. <laughs> right on Litwoods.